Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh, my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see every day on Binge. Ali, we've got two very interesting things to talk about today. We do. We have a movie and a TV show, which I love because I'm always looking for a good movie on a Friday or Saturday night. So we've got Father of the Bride, not the 1991 Steve Martin classic. Not the 1951 original. Not the 1950. I bet a lot of people out there probably didn't know that the 1991 Steve Martin one was not the first film, which was an adaptation. I did not know. Of a novel. Yeah, it was adapted in the 1950s um, with Spencer Tracy and Elizabeth Taylor, I think. And then, yeah, the 1991 version with Steve Martin. We are talking about the 2022 brand new version that's just landed on Binge starring... Starring Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan, and it's really fun. So we'll talk about that. And then we've got a, we love our documentaries, and we have a documentary called Menudo Forever Young. And for those of you that love a boy band, well, these guys were, they weren't the first boy band, but I think they were the first boy band to really become a bit of a music empire from Puerto Rico originally, but kind of took over South America in the 70s, 80s and 90s. So really interesting snapshot look at some music history. And we often talk about music documentaries and we love music. So yeah, some really interesting stuff to talk about today, John. Okay, awesome. Well, let's head to Miami for our Father of the Bride. I have something to say. I'm engaged. Wow. <laughs> And I propose. Wow. You propose? Okay. You propose? Yes. You propose to him. Mm-hmm. He didn't propose to you. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? Does anyone do that? Father of the Bride receives its latest remake as an HBO Max film with a Cuban-American spin on the rom-com classic. Andy Garcia takes on the role made famous by Spencer Tracy and Steve Martin joined by Gloria Estefan as his wife. I have very sort of strong... VHS copy feelings about the 1991 version um, <laughs> as it was a sort of staple in the, in the Boehm family growing up. But, yes, yeah, so I was really excited to watch this um, remake. Me too, John. And, but you always go in with a little bit of trepidation, don't you, at that feeling of, oh, please don't mess it up or why are you remaking this? And the first thing I thought was, are we really ready for a remake? But when you think it was 30 years ago, probably. And I think the good news is, gang, it's fun. It's It's got a modern update element to it it's not a complete like for like of the 1991 story you've got a really different family dynamic the mum and dad's relationships at a really different point than what Steve Martin and Diane Keaton's characters were you've got a much older girl the daughter who's getting married Uh, those of you that might remember 1991 she was kind of 21 years old Annie and she'd gone off on her first European vacation and kind of came home with a with an older fiance in this one we have a really modern woman who's kind of late 20s got her degree, been living in New York at quite a different stage of her life. It feels like it reflects the stage and the age of people get married a little bit more. So I thought that was really interesting. And as I mentioned, there's a bit of a different dynamic going on between Angie Garcia's character and his wife, Gloria Estefan, in that they are maybe not quite so happily married as you might first to think they are. So yeah, some cool, interesting elements. And also I love that it's in Miami. It's in a really fresh, interesting location, isn't it? Timeless story that regardless of what your background is and what your family, that weddings are big moments in family history and they bring up all the drama. 
Yeah. Obviously, Steve Martin's like a comedy icon really lent into that with his version of it. I read one review refer to him as Dadzilla, which was not a a term I'd heard before, but like absolutely fits the bill. One of the ongoing themes throughout it is this like idea of traditional wedding or traditional marriage versus what these younger kids are trying to get out of their lives. And that sort of really plays through the movie, this like conflicts between, oh, you know, we want to get married on a beach first. We want to get married at the Biltmore Hotel, like mm-hmm. Andy Garcia wanted them to. But the other really interesting thing which plays out through this is obviously they're a Cuban-American family in this. They're in Miami. There's a lot of talk about Andy Garcia's character almost becomes a joke by the end, how often he talks about coming to America on a boat surrounded by sharks and his immigrant or exile journey. As he- exile, I think they were exiled because yeah. of political beliefs weren't they from yeah Castro. so that adds an interesting new layer and then the family's cuban-american but the other family is mexican-american so then there's also this like dynamic between those two different immigrant stories and at one point they like have a fight about whether or not they should be speaking in spanish and having <laughs> yeah, the fight cool, in it? spanish and if for a second you think why did they remake father with bride yeah there's just so much more that this brings to it just because of the setting. Yeah, and I think that's a really good shout. And I just think the age of the children's really different. Like as two sisters, they're both grown up. Both these girls are kind of byproducts of their parents' relationship and their you know experiences growing up in the household and ambitious parents that gave up a lot to support them and almost rejecting the American dream that their parents have fought so hard to give them by not, you know, running into big corporate jobs or the younger daughter who doesn't want to go to college. And, you know, so it's almost the, there's some really cool different motivations and beliefs of the generations that come through in this, which I think adds another layer to it as well. It's not just like crazy dad and the parents putting it on the kids as to what they want. It's a bit more balanced. Yeah. And I think parents having different ideas for how kids should lead their life is a pretty universal theme. So I'm not of a Cuban or Mexican background, but a lot of it really landed with me. It's really accessible. Yeah. You're just getting dropped in any family yeah. and all the dynamics that come from, you know, I've sat on the same couch with both sets of parents saying, I want these people invited and these people are looking at my husband going, please, we just want a small wedding. Yeah. There's lots of elements that you can relate to, but I didn't find myself the whole way going, well, in the other movie, it was like this. In this movie, you just enjoy, I just really enjoyed the two hours. It was sat down, Friday night, pizza, easy. We don't see a lot of Gloria Estefan in sort of acting roles these days, at least. And I thought she was fantastic as the, as the mother. She was really good, wasn't she? And Brad Pitt, I noticed as the credits rolled, was not in the executive producers, obviously lots of history between him and Andy Garcia with the Ocean's Eleven franchise. But yeah, interesting to see his involvement. One of the daughters is played by Isabella Merced, some of you might recognise from the live-action version of Dora the Explorer. And the other daughter made an appearance in Irma Vep for a little, yes, for a little bit of binge that. crossover. There's a crossover that we yeah. didn't even, weren't clever enough to plan, but, yeah. yeah, I did see that. So, yeah, some really familiar faces. But like I said, kick back Friday night, put it on, you'll be entertained. Take you away to a nice place for an hour and a half and great use of time. So, yeah, the 2022 remake of Father of the Bride is streaming for you now on Binge. Mommy, Papi, this is Alain Castillo. We don't want some big fancy wedding and we want to pay for it. Two lawyers are out of college working for a nonprofit are going to pay for the wedding. Billy, Papi. I'm the father of the bride and I will be paying for the wedding and I'm going to be walking my daughter down Formed the in 1977, the Puerto Rican boy band Menudo would go on to conquer Latin America and define a generation of young fans around the world. This new four-part documentary looks at the rise and fall of Menudo, its formula for success, and the alleged abuse and exploitation taking place behind the scenes. 
Let's have a real big welcome for... Menudo. Menudo. Manager Edgardo Diaz adopted a fountain of youth strategy. The individual members are simply replaced once they reach the age of 16. They were the first boy band because the formula wasn't already there. They had these massive pop hits that were internationally popular. That is something that Menudo taught us boy bands Alan, could do. I have to admit, I was not familiar with Menudo before this, but I found this fascinating. Obviously, boy bands existed before the 70s, but it's like they kind of invented the model of what we know boy bands to be today sort of thing. I'm with you. I did not know Menudo, but lots of famous people, including Ricky Martin, kind of came out of this band and went on to become individual artists in their own right. You're right. I think just the the model of what it set up for lots of the boy bands that would follow. The guy who set it up, he talked about wanting to emulate the Jackson 5, which were kind of the family band, obviously, at the time in the 70s. But it felt like he was the first one to kind of create this brand template and all the spin-off merchandise and yeah. stuff that came with it, which we now probably take for granted because my first boy band experience, giving up my age a little bit, was New Kids on the Block and my cousin Penny would be with me with that one. We absolutely obsessed and we all had the favourite one and, you know, the idea was there was someone in the band that was kind of the one that you liked the most and and this is what was really interesting about the show. Should we explain a little bit about Menudo because I, I wonder how many people know about them as well that are listening. Yeah, definitely. The thing that I found interesting, but you know, obviously boy band, hugely successful around Latin America and other parts of the world in the 70s and 80s and 90s. But what I thought was interesting was, I think they called it the fountain of youth strategy, where there were five or six boys in the band. The youngest, I think, was like nine, which seems very young to be in a boy band. But what happened was, as soon as they turned 16, they just replaced them. <laughs> so over the decades that Menudo's existed, I think I counted 38 members according to Wikipedia. Uh, so unlike, you know, a One Direction or a BTS where, you know, the members of the band and the band kind of either has to disband or not really exist going forward, the sort of genius of Menudo was you are replaceable. You are a salaried member of Menudo. And if you turn 16 or if you don't want to be part of this anymore, we'll just replace you with another preteen boy. So the guy that kind of created this, the producer and the kind of manager and the creator of this brand, and ultimately the man that I suppose made the most money from it, Eduardo Diaz, I think he grew up going back and forth between Puerto Rico and Spain. She used to do kind of school tours or university tours. So he spent quite a bit of time in Spain. And when he was there, he came across this Spanish group where there were four guys and a girl and he brought them back to Puerto Rico and had them touring and they were really popular and they were making a lot of money. And, you know, he started doing merchandise with them. But as the boys got a bit older, their voices dropped. And as they kind of stopped being this young, cute group, they were dumped by their record label. So I think he had this light switch moment of like, okay, I'm going to recreate this, but I'm going to set up a system where the band can survive the aging of the members. There's not the risk tied to one individual person. He also had a very, very specific target market. He said that he was creating a band rather than the Spanish one that he'd brought over and was recreating, he didn't have any females in it. He was like the target market for this band, this boy band, were girls aged between 9 and 15. That's what he did. And he dressed them and coordinated their outfits and, you know, very much with that mindset and made an awful lot of money doing it. And I think in the early days, the first guys that came into the band, it was more of a traditional agent-manager split where they had equity in the business. But over time, as they were getting replaced, he ended up putting people onto salaries and then they weren't then participating and getting all the royalties. It just and became a machine. 
became a machine. And in order for your children to be in Menudo, you had to sign over parental custody. So people often from working class backgrounds, their children were getting into this band. It was still comparatively good money, even if it wasn't overly fair or equitable. But then they had tutors, they went on the road and these kids- Working were, full time. <laughs> yeah, and potentially taken advantage of. And what ends up happening through the stories, you find out that there was a big fallout. Some of them got into trouble. Five of them were kind of resigned at the one time and the band kind of collapsed. But yeah, so interesting to hear. We heard from so many of the different members over the course of the four-part document. I don't think all 38, but a real array of them from the 70s all the way through to the late 90s that were in the band. It was almost just a throwaway line, but I thought it was kind of chilling was they talked about how they they were the first band to be in sort of this big Mexican arena that was used for the Olympics and the World Cup and all these things. And they were the first sort of band to sell it out. And one of the members of Menudo was talking about how traumatic and nervous he was because he was like wondering if something bad happened with 100,000 people surrounding him. Like if there was a riot or if they, you know, swarmed the stage or something, he was like, how am I going to get out of this space? Like, yeah, you just can't imagine what it must be like to almost be afraid of your fandom because of how passionate they are and how many of them are physically around you at any time. Yeah, it's a kind of classic children in Hollywood kind of story, isn't it, of like losing their childhood through the machine that becomes their art. It's a really interesting documentary, four parts. You do see the rise of them through the 70s and 80s. There's kind of different stages to their fame. They kind of peak and then go down a bit but then come back. So you kind of see it through the years, but really it gets into the story of the manager and the people associated to him and some of the allegations that have been thrown at him in the last few years. So, yeah, really interesting. Learned a lot. All four episodes of Menudo Forever Young are streaming now on Binge. There were a lot of good things that came out of Menudo, but there was a price to pay for that magic. None of us were really prepared for what it was really going to be like. There was no interest in protecting us. We felt vulnerable. La historia de Menudo will live on forever. Well, let's go from Puerto Rico to... Dinner party. (laughs) Dinner party recommendations. John, what should we discover on Binge? What's your secret gem this week? Well, I'm going to talk about a reality series, which I feel like I... Oh, well, maybe I do talk about reality a lot these days. Binge has changed me. (laughs) (laughs) Corrupted you. (laughs) Something that we have... I think nearly a hundred episodes of, so there's a lot of it to get into and you can start at any point. And I think there's more to say for it than maybe people will think. I am talking about Catfish, the TV series. Oh, I didn't think you were going to say that. No, neither did I. Um, (laughs) Not uh, one of the ones that I'm as into. So yes, do tell. So for those who don't know, this started life as a documentary in 2010, like it coined the term catfish. And then the documentary was kind of such a sensation that MTV has now turned into a series, which is now still running. So yeah, like I said, we've got, I think over a hundred episodes on binge. We've actually got the kind of couple of seasons where the hosts change. So you're probably very familiar with Nev. He was face of the original documentary mm-hmm. and he still hosts it. For much of the early seasons, he was joined by Max Joseph, who was kind of like the cameraman, but he was on camera. He also happened to be part of 15 Minutes of Shame, the Monica Lewinsky documentary we talked about a while ago. And then the more recent seasons, he has been replaced by Cammy Crawford as the co-host. But basically the show is Nev and Max or Nev and Cammy investigate people's online relationships that they've never met up with the person and they don't know if that person exists, like exists as they think they exist or is lying to them or you know, for whatever other reason, doesn't want to meet them or like is afraid to meet them. Basically, each episode is looking at this hopeful, as they call them. So the person is talking to somebody and the catfish who is either catfishing them by lying about their 
gender or looks or personality or where they live or any number of things. But what I find fascinating is they're not all getting catfished. They're not always sort of this like cliched person at the end of the computer who looks nothing like the person they're talking to. Quite often it is the person they think they're talking to. Uh-huh. And- that was one of my questions. Are, they, yeah. is this, are there that many people out there doing this or is it? Well, uh, there is lots of people catfishing. Like, <laughs> that's why the show is has, has so many episodes. So many people are getting catfished by people. But equally, there are people who are shy or are awkward or, you know, don't want to go on FaceTime or whatever. So it's, I think it's interesting. And each episode always kind of resolves itself either by meeting the catfish and being like, why have you done this? Why did you pretend to be a Canadian model? Or they meet the person and they were like, why did you just not want to ever meet me kind of thing? So yeah, they're all self-contained. You can jump in at any point. And it's fascinating because, you know, we've only been internet dating for like a few decades. A few decades ago, the idea of lying about who you are to a potential like romantic partner, I'm sure was maybe happening over like pen pal or something back in the day, but obviously it's exploded with the internet. Does it go into why people catfish other people like what sometimes it is a deceitful purposeful thing where you might want to be trying to get money out of someone or something and pretending you're a marine overseas and like send me a itunes gift card so i can buy apps and stuff i think what's more interesting and is more likely the case is it's often just lonely shy people who don't think they're good enough to be themselves online or don't think they'll be good enough to meet someone online so they have to create a persona or lie about who they are or their looks or their job or anything. And do any of these people ever get to meet them in real, like do they end up meeting? Is, is, that, is that part of the yeah, show? Yeah, so that's, that, that's kind of part of the format is they sort of either end up meeting sometimes on Skype or Zoom or whatever, but more often not in real life. Sometimes there's an anger about it. Like you could be talking to someone for years, like mm-hmm. daily and sharing your everyday thoughts with this person and then they not be the person you think they are. There's like kind of all different ways an episode can conclude, but yeah, they kind of usually fall into a few buckets of why they were lying basically interesting and we i think we've got a a season of the british version as well so when you get through the 100 episodes you've got another 10 yeah you can head to the brits (laughs) a couple years ago i fell in love online turns out my crush wasn't who i thought she was not only that my brother and his filmmaking partner shot the whole thing and turned it into a documentary that was a pretty big hit Suddenly, my inbox was exploding with emails. It felt like everyone on the internet wanted to tell me about their bizarre online romance. I should just pursue every single one of these leads, and we should make a show of it. So that's what we decided to do. Well, my recommendation this week is some movies, and it's actually a recommendation for a director and a creator. So off the back of Father of the Bride and the 1991 version of Father of Bride, which is directed by Nancy Myers, who had, is kind of known as the queen of the rom-com, Father of the Bride being amongst them, the holiday, it's complicated, something's got to give, what women want, there's a whole, whole suite of them and there's quite an aesthetic to Nancy's films. But I just thought we don't have the original Father of the Bride on the platform, unfortunately, but we do have some of Nancy's other films. So, And one that's a bit connected to the 1991 Father of the Bride is it's complicated. It stars Meryl Streep, Alec Baldwin, and then Steve Martin as a love interest as well. Father of the Bride made me realize how much I just like to hang out with a fun light film sometimes. Like you don't always want to be tested or watch something scary or documentaries and things. So we've actually got a really cool rom-com carousel that you normally rotate through the movie section of the platform. And there's lots of cool rom-coms in there if that's your cup of jam, but you will find it's complicated in that carousel 
which, as I said, comes from Nancy Meyer's creative universe and, and also stars Steve Martin. There's not as many rom-coms made as there used to be for lots of reasons, including just movie dynamics and the shifting release model of films. There's a lot more of those kind of now going straight to streaming, which is interesting because Father of the Bride has also just gone straight to streaming. It hasn't gone through the cinemas. But uh, yeah, if you fancy dipping into some of the best rom-coms in the last 20 or 30 years, um, head along to that carousel and you'll see lots of them. But yeah, What Women Want... Um, starring Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt is another one from the 90s that we've got and, and it's complicated as well so maybe give them both a go. One of the reviews I read about the new Father of the Bride did mention a sort of rom-com renaissance that's happening as a result of streaming so part of the theory was we stopped getting these big theatrical rom-coms because the economics of them didn't work to go to theatres anymore but people have realised they still love these films so now they're making them for streaming and they're being huge successes so now they're making more of them so Yay. hopefully we'll see some more Nancy Myers-esque films in our lives. I think this is very French of us. Oh my God. I have a young wife, but I'm having sex with my old wife. My old, you know, ex. This week on Skip Intro, we discussed the 2022 remake of Father of the Bride. We talked about the new documentary series Menudo, Forever Young. I suggested that you can jump into Catfish, the TV series, and Ali suggested we visit the Nancy Myers extended cinematic universe with its complicated, among many other films. All of these are streaming for you now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favourite device. I'm John Boehm, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we will be back next week with more Skip Intro.